0: When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast, where today we're exploring the story of Daniel. I'm glad you're here. A
1: reading from the book of Daniel. Daniel. Then Daniel went to his home and informed his companions, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions with the rest of the wise men of Babylon might not perish. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night, and Daniel blessed the God of of heaven. Daniel said, Blessed be the name of God from age to age, for wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He poses kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and light dwells with him. To you, O God of my ancestors, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and power and have now revealed to me what we asked of you, for you have revealed to us what the king ordered. <coughs> Therefore Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will give the king the interpretation. Then Arioch quickly brought Daniel before the king and said to him, "I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who can tell the king the interpretation." The king said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, "Are you able to tell me the dream that I have seen and in its interpretation?" <coughs> Daniel answered the king, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or diviners can show the king the mystery that the king is asking, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has to to King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen at the end of days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed were these, To you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what would be hereafter, and the revealer of mysteries disclosed to you what he is to be. But as for this, but as for me, this mystery has not been revealed to me because of any wisdom that I have, more than any other living being, but in order that the interpretation may be known to the king, and that you may understand the thoughts of your mind. The
0: word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's a life or death situation that Daniel's in. He is about to be executed along with a lot of other wise people from his community. I'm sure he didn't get along with all of them. We know later that some of these same fellows try to have him killed. So it wasn't the most uh, close of friendships, but these were his people. These were the community that he lived in. And so Daniel does what any of us can do. Really the only thing you can do when you're faced with an overwhelming challenge, something that seems impossible, difficult. How can anyone know what the king's dream was? It is a mystery, not a mystery you can really solve, not a mystery that you can think about enough and then suddenly it happens to you. No human effort can achieve unlocking this mystery. So what does Daniel do? He asks his friends to pray for him. He asks his friends to pray with him. That's all he does. Um, You know, there's no big magic spell. There's no big... Performance, there is simply a young man asking his friends to pray for him. This is at the heart of prayer, why we pray. Prayer is not just a solitary thing. It is, to some degree, a solitary activity many times in our life. But I think the most effective prayer is prayer that we pray with others, people that care about us, people that love us people that are in the same situation we're in. Uh, These three friends of his, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, are um, going to suffer the same fate. And so they pray together. Who are your prayer friends, the people that you ask for prayer? I hope you can do this. I hope your church community is a place where you can do that. If it's not... Um, Perhaps that's something to be worked on by the community, um, that people feel like, boy, they won't care if I share this. It's either an issue that's too small for them to care about or an issue that's too big for them to do anything about. But ultimately, it is what we're called to do, is to share those things that we need. Sometimes the things we share are really personal, Really personal, and we don't want everybody to know. Last night, I saw a screening of this new movie that's coming out, uh, Judy Bloom Forever. And honestly, I, I didn't know a lot about Judy Bloom when I went to see the movie, but a friend of mine is in it, and um, and she shared that when something happened to her when she was a child, involving sexual assault and involving. A suicide of a family member. Um, she didn't know who to talk to, and she wrote to Judy Bloom, this children's author that she had read, and Judy Bloom answered her, and wrote letters to her and helped her and helped her find help and really saved her life. Um, and that is a kind of prayer too, reaching out in that way, saying, "I don't think anybody really cares," or will care. There's so much shame around what I'm facing. Um, it is Daniel who reaches out to his friends in prayer. Uh, that is all we can do sometimes. And it's actually huge. It, it is the thing that tips the scale of the mystery. It's the thing that reveals the mystery to them. And Daniel's prayer, it says he blesses the Lord, he blesses God. Ultimately, that is what prayer is, is a kind of worship, a blessing of God. We may not think of ourselves as being capable of blessing God, but it is a common activity for God's people to do, to bless God. Well, how do you bless God? Well, you say good things about God, say good things to God. And that's what Daniel does. He doesn't just go right to it. Um, He frames his request in this blessing this praise. He does what um, he does what he knows how to do. Most of the prayer that he composes, this poem that he writes, this psalm, is an extract or excerpts from a number of psalms. Daniel prayed morning and evening prayer. He prayed the daily office, which was the psalm book of his people. The The prayer book of Israel was the psalms. And so, our prayers of the Psalms, uh, although they seem perhaps repetitive or maybe less inspirational and in that we don't do a lot of talking about them, they are the bedrock of the prayers of God's people still. And it is these Psalms that he turns to in this time of great crisis, this time of great need. It is these Psalms that he speaks back to God. Uh, we must pray God's words back to God. It's kind of like quoting your professor on the, in your paper for their class. Um, kind of works that way. Because there's this relationship of prayer that we have with God. God says stuff to us and we say stuff to God. And sometimes it feels like a one-way street. Like there's only a, a one-way communication happening between us and God. Sometimes it feels that way, but ultimately it is a two-way communication that we are experiencing with God at all times. Sometimes God doesn't send messages at the same speed we send them to God. And I imagine if we were standing in the throne room of heaven, checking God's messages, we might find that uh, given the nature of time's relativity and all those other things that go into that Our messages are not so timely either, especially when things are good, and we don't need to go talk to Ariok about the interpretation of a king's dream. But Daniel does that. He goes to his boss to tell what this dream is, and um, he says, don't destroy these wise men, don't destroy these magi. Bring me before the king. Daniel puts his life on the line for people that, in many cases, don't really like him very much. But he puts his life on the line for these, this community that he's found himself in. When the exiles were to go into exile in Jeremiah, as we read, they were to pray for the peace of that city. They were to make Babylon a good city to live in and do their best to make that happen. And they're doing it now. Daniel's doing it there. He's standing in solidarity with this group of people who are about to be executed. This is a place where the people of God should always stand with people who are experiencing this kind of hardship and suffering. Even if we do not share that much in common with them, we share a common humanity. And Daniel brings, or Ariak brings him before the king. And he says, I have found among the exiles from Judah, a man who can tell the king the interpretation. Um, You know, I have found among the exiles. Daniel still among the exiles. No matter how high he climbs in this ladder of hierarchy, no matter how competent he is, how much he studies, how much he learns, he'll always be among the exiles. He will always be an outsider. I don't know if you've ever felt this way. No matter what you do, you're always kind of in the same place and treated the same way. And you know what? It doesn't matter to Daniel. What matters is his message. What matters is the information that God has told him to tell the king. And there before the king. Um, And here we learn Daniel's name. His other name, his Babylonian name is Belteshazzar a much more impressive name, if you will. Daniel, the name of Daniel, means God is my judge. Or, to reverse it, only God can judge me. Pretty ironic name for a guy who is judged by everybody. He is judged by the people that take him into captivity. He is judged by the chief eunuch in chapter 1. He's judged by... The king and Ariok and the other magi, he's judged by everybody throughout the story, but ultimately he knows that only God can judge him before his God he stands or falls. And all the other opinions of other people don't matter that much. Um, And then Belteshazzar is his name that the the Babylonian king calls him. And I forget what that means in Babylonian. Um, It's probably written here somewhere in a Marginal note, but um, that's his name. I think the king's name is Belshazzar, the next king, and Daniel is Belteshazzar. So these may be titles as much as names, hard to say. Daniel answered the king, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or diviners can show the king the mystery. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. This line that will be repeated throughout the book of Daniel, but there is a God in heaven who can reveal mysteries. And our lives are mysteries. Do you ever wonder why your life turned out the way it did? Um, Why certain things happened to you? Why directions? uh, You went in certain directions and not others. Um, I think our lives are all mysteries. All of ours are. Uh, Mysteries that we sort of try to figure out as we go along. And like every mystery, we often assume that we know who done it. We know who did the mystery, we know the interpretation. And often that only God knows. And sometimes God reveals some of those things to us, not always at the beginning of the mystery or life, not always at the middle of our lives, but sometimes at the end. God reveals the mystery. And ultimately, it all comes back to love. God is trying to reveal to us the mystery of love, that in the mystery of human life, with all its changes and chances, all of its ups and downs, there is this thing called love that will always be there. And it is a well that is so deep you can never exhaust it, you can never run out of it, because that well is rooted in God. And that well is God. There are many things that the Bible scriptures say that God um, is like, God is like a tornado, God is like a thunderstorm, God is like a rock. Um, But one of the consistent messages that God is, not God is like, but God is love. And love looks very different in many circumstances. And here in the story of Daniel, love looks like this young man having a dream revealed to him that some king dreamed up. This dream is a vision of the end of days. And it involves a, a big statue um, that chronicles the history of all humanity. It's a big deal. And of, of all the ways for God to communicate um, the plan of God to God's people, to us even today, this is a strange way to communicate. But God, in unraveling the mystery of life, our lives, and the lives of, of the world, Um, does not take any shortcuts. Sometimes there are uh, things in place that we cannot fully understand until much later in reflection. Oh, according to this note, uh, Belteshazzar, Daniel's Babylonian name, means protect his life or protect the life of the king which may be sort of a title or an aspirational name that he was given, because that was ultimately his job as a servant of the king. And so I invite you into the mystery of your life. Uh, why, how, when, where? Ask those questions of God, because God is in heaven, and God reveals mysteries. Amen. On Wednesday, April 19th, The church remembers Alphage, Alphage. Um, One of the coolest things about Anglo-Saxon England, the Anglo-Saxons who lived there um, up until, well, they still live there, but um, up until the Norman Conquest, the language of Anglo-Saxon was more widely spoken. And... Half of the names from this time period, I'm generalizing grossly, it's not true, but it seems like half of the names from this time period of Anglo Saxon England, their names began like Alfage. Alf, um, Alf is the word elf, um, the word elf in Anglo Saxon, elf. So, elf witch, elf, elf, elfgifu, um, a number of famous Anglo-Saxons have their names, Elf. And I think his name, um, Elfage, I don't know what the phage part means, but the Elf part means something. It means Elf, which I think is really cool that they just kind of assumed that, you know, they were all part Elf. Born in 954, Elfage or Elfe gave his witness in a troubled time of the second wave of Scandinavian invasion and settlement in England. If you've seen the show, The Last Kingdom, a very good show on Netflix, it's the final season I think is finished and there's a movie that just came out yesterday that kind of wraps up the story of this time period um, of Anglo-Saxon England, the Scandinavian or Viking settlements in England that are the remnants of are still there today. Um, After serving as a monk at Deerhurst and then as an abbot of Bath, he became in 984, through Archbishop Dunstan's influence, Bishop of Winchester. He was instrumental in bringing the Norse King Olaf Turgivson, only recently baptized, to King Elthred in 994 to make his peace and be confirmed at Andover. He was transferred to Canterbury, the seat of ecclesiastical or church power in England in 1005. Alfege was captured by the Danes, the Vikings, in 1011. He refused to allow a personal ransom to be collected from his already overburdened people. Seven months later, he was brutally murdered despite the Viking commander Thorkell's efforts to save him by offering all of his possessions except his ship for the archbishop's life. The Anglo-Saxon Chronicle relates that the Danes were much stirred against the bishop because he would not promise them any fee and forbade that any man should give, him, give anything for him. They were also much drunken and took the bishop and led him to their hustings on the eve of the Saturday after Easter. And then they shamefully killed him. They overwhelmed him with bones and horns of oxen. And one of them smote him with an axe iron on the head, so that he sunk downward with the blow, and his holy blood fell on the earth, whilst his sacred soul was sent to the realm of God. The story of his death, as only the Anglo Saxon chronicle could tell it, um, points to the times, the violent times that he lived in, and the way that he witnessed to the gospel, the good news that. Um, That his life uh, was just one life among many, and that um, he didn't want his people to have to uh, come up with an exorbitant personal ransom to be free. Um, Seemingly, he chose that himself. Um, Again, sacrifice, suffering, um, really is suffering with Jesus when we choose it freely, um, which most suffering is not freely chosen in this way. And yet he marched into that knowing that his life would be a life of witness to Jesus. Ultimately, the Vikings, the Scandinavians, the Danes, as they're called in different chronicles, become uh, members of the church. They become Christian through the witness of saints like Alfage. Um, the idea that Christian, Christianity conquered Everywhere and forced people to become Christians is true in some places, um, many years later, often almost into the modern era. But in this time period, um, it was the people in England, the Christians in England, were not going out and invading anywhere else. They were being invaded by non Christian and sometimes Christian Vikings, but it was their consistent witness and martyrdom that changed the minds of the Viking leaders. And now if you go to Scandinavia today, you'll find churches that witness to this time period of conversion, uh, many commemorating the Viking saints, Christian Vikings who converted um, to Christianity and left behind the life of raiding and embraced um, their communal faith with other Christians in Europe. And uh, we are in full communion with the Church of Sweden, which is kind of cool in that they are part of this heritage as well. And we are in quasi-communion with the other Lutheran, as they're called, churches in Scandinavia. There's a great show, um, Heron Virge, on Netflix. Again, I'm like plugging Netflix constantly about a Danish clergy family, one of whom's an army chaplain. It's really, really good. Um, I found it to be really, really wonderful Um, there about the Danish church. And this was the church that was converted by the witness of Alphage. Lord Jesus Christ, who willingly walked the way of the cross... Strengthen your church to the example and prayers of your servant Alphage to hold fast to the path of discipleship. For with the Father and the Holy Spirit you live and reign, one God, forever and ever. Amen.